Well, good evening. Hello. <laughs> good. I know it's cloudy. We just had uh, some good heat, too. Uh, we had some good heat, and then now it's cooling down. It's, it's okay, though. It's nice and mild. Summer's coming. Uh, <clears throat> we had last year, what, up to like 116 degrees or something like that. So I'm good with this. In fact, I think it's, uh, it's uh, scheduled to rain as far as the uh, forecasters are concerned uh, on Monday, right? It's like at this point it's 50%. I don't know. By the time we get there, it might be uh, 10, but, you know. It's a guesstimate. Anyway, uh, such is life, though. You know, sometimes we have um, the sun in our faces, and sometimes we have clouds, but we need to learn how to deal with, with all of it and how to, uh, to go through and deal with it in such a way that it brings glory to God. And um, that's one of the reasons why we come together and, and we uh, study the, the Word of God. Um, not only is this a form of worship, but... It's a form of worship that benefits the worshiper, and it blesses God. As we come together and we study God's word, as we become better for it, that is, we, we gain a knowledge. Hopefully, uh, that knowledge becomes um, applicable to our lives, and uh, that turns into wisdom, rightly applied truth, and, um, and we're able to make wise decisions in those times. Um, this evening, as we're uh, going through the study of 1 Kings chapter 14, uh, we're going to see more uh, good examples of what not to do. Um, and that seems to be the case, not only through 1 Kings, we'll see it through 2 Kings and through much of the Bible is what we see. But what we see is God's grace, his mercy, his compassion on us. We see his patience and how it is that um, truly there, there is no way that man could have attained righteousness through the law, as we're learning on Sundays through the book of Romans, right? Um, and, uh, and so therefore we needed a redeemer. We needed, um, God to do the work for us. And that's why it's, it's a gift. It's grace. It's God's offering to us through his son, Jesus Christ. But, you know, as Christians, we go through the whole counsel of God. We go through, uh, the book of Genesis all the way through to revelation. We see God's plan of redemption, but through it all, what we see also is a consistent character of God toward us. Uh, his love and all those attributes that I had mentioned. And, um, and we realize more each time just how much he's expressed his love toward us. Not just in Romans 5.8 that says, you know, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But through and through, I mean, he, he desires that none should perish, but that every single person would come to repentance. Um, and so those are the things that we come to realize as we study God's word. Just a quick reminder that this Sunday is, um, <clears throat> before we get into our study, uh, class number three of three in the foundations, uh, as far as the foundations class is concerned, and it will be after service at 11 o'clock. So any of you who are going through the foundations class, and even if you haven't, if you haven't done the first two and you'd like to um, start now, you can. Um, just let us know. Um, you'll just have to make up classes one and two. All right, so that's what we have coming up this, this Sunday. Um, so please, if you haven't opened up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 14, please do so. Um, you know, just uh, as you're doing that, uh, just the, the thought that after Solomon, we know that Rehoboam assumed the throne of Israel. Uh, but then the kingdom was immediately divided. We know that Jeroboam had been uh, told 
that um, the kingdom would be torn uh, from the hands of Solomon and would be given to him. And so he was told, though, to follow uh, in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in obedience to the Lord and the law and the commandments that God had given to the Israelites, um, and he would establish him. But this is what's going on, is we know Jeroboam has control over the ten tribes of the north, um, also considered as Israel. And then we have Rehoboam, who is the king of um, the southern kingdom um, that involves Judah, Jerusalem included, and the tribe of Benjamin. Um, the tribe of, of Judah, of course, and as we look at Benjamin, um, this is to continue uh, God's promise to, to continue on with David's lineage. So tonight, what we'll see, unfortunately, is the end of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and why it is that they came to that. So let's pray and we'll get into our time of study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to study your word. We ask that you would, by your spirit, give us understanding, teach us all things, lead us to truth, and help us to be clear in our understanding of this chapter. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 1 says, At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick, and Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh, behold, Ajah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over his people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. And so here we have, um, we, we have Jeroboam's son, Abijah, who is sick. Uh, and Jeroboam, it seems like he is sensing that his son possibly could die. And, and so he sends his wife. Um, to this prophet. Uh, it was, by the way, common in those days to, to send for a prophet to um, speak uh, of whether a child would live or die, a person would live or die. It was very common in that day to do that. They didn't call for a physician, but they called for a prophet to do that very thing. Uh, <clears throat> so Jeroboam, he called on his wife, and uh, he told her, go to um, Aijah the prophet, and consult with him whether our son would live or die. Now, the reason why she was to disguise herself was because Jeroboam had avoided going to Shiloh, you remember, to worship God. Uh, Shiloh was regarded as part of the southern kingdom, and there was no way that he was going to allow the ten tribes of the northern kingdom to go to Shiloh to worship God and run the risk of having their hearts turn away from Jeroboam and turn to Rehoboam and therefore turn on him. And so there was no way that he was doing this. So why did he send his wife off incognito, in disguise, um, to consult this prophet? Well, it was because he also had not only... Uh, withdrawn from worshiping God in Shiloh and allowing the ten tribes of the north to go worship there in Shiloh, but he himself developed his own system of worship that was false for himself and all of the tribes that he was to lead. It's interesting because in all of this he acknowledged by his actions 
that the true God was not found within the false system of worship that he had set up. It was rather known by what God had ordained and commanded as the order of his worship. You know, we're not the ones that determine how to worship God. God determines how to worship himself. You know, how we are to worship him. He's the one that determines that. You know, people do the same thing today, though. They develop their own way of worshiping God. It's very common. Uh, But it isn't the worship of God at all. When we do it in our own way. It's not the worship of God at all. If it is not what God has commanded himself according to his word, according to the Bible. In other words, people will compromise with the world, world, do their own thing, live how they like, and then say they are Christians. I believe in God. I am faithful to God and worship him when really they're not and they don't. You know, as Christians, uh, what I see more and more is, is a, a sense of, of liberty that isn't true to the word of God. Uh, it's, uh, you know, th- this is just who I am. It's the way God made me. Um, even excusing personality when that personality, you know, I, I, I've, I've joked around how it is that, you know, <clears throat> um, Italians have, you know, short fuses. And they get angry real easy. You know that? Italians. And then I have a German that says, you know, G- Germans, they, they have a short fuse and they get angry real easy. And then you get someone from Brazil and, you know, they're really passionate, but th- they get angry too real easy. And it's like, huh, there's kind of a trend here because it seems like Hispanics do. And so, and you just go right down the line. It's all common to everyone. If we allow ourselves, we can go down that road and we can compromise and call it, it's just who we are. That's the way God made us. You know, as Christians, we're not free to sin. But rather, as it says in Romans, we're free from the bondage of sin. We're not slaves to sin. Our freedoms are not used to sin, but rather to serve God and glorify the Lord. Christianity does not allow for absolute freedom. You know, there's a sense to where we we have this. And I, I think in America, we have these people who want absolute freedom. That's nonsense. In, in America, for it to function, it's a, it's a country of law and order. You know, the Christianity is a faith of law and order. Why? Because God is love and he's also just. He's set boundaries. And within those boundaries, you have the freedom to bring him glory by the manner in which you conduct yourself in a disciplined manner. So Christianity does not allow for absolute freedom, but rather a display of disciplined freedom in our expression of love toward the one who delivered us from condemnation. That's what we're free to do. Galatians 5.13, and by the way, this is with, with, with a um, being free from the burden of condemnation, knowing that we have an absolute hope in Christ. That, that's where we have that peace that surpasses all understanding. And therefore, we act in accordance with that which we have come to possess. And that is the righteousness of Christ, which is beyond comprehension. And yet, 
It was by God's grace that we've received that through our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the question is, how is it known when people make up their own way? It's quite simple. It really is. Because they lead lives that are contrary to the biblical standards God expects from those who profess to follow him. It's, it's simple. It really is simple. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. I quote that often. I also quote this one often, too, James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So when one realizes their opposition to God, rather than their faithfulness uh, to them, ra rather than, okay, so when, when they realize, when, when one realizes their opposition to God, at that very point, it, they become aware that of, of that opposition and they're faced with a decision to make. Either remain in that shame and continue to go in a direction opposite of God, or at that very point, you are to confess and turn away from your sin. Shame is good, by the way. I know in today's world, shame is not good. You, you know, to shame someone else is, uh, seems to be something that is uh, taboo. It's not something that you ought to do, you know, accept people for who they are, and that's it. Um, but shame is good. Shame is good in the sight of God because godly conviction brings you to repentance, which leads to everlasting life. Well, with all of this, <clears throat> we see how it is that Jeroboam um, has opposed God by setting up his own system of worship, which, which is false. He's turned his back on the Lord in doing so, and he's led the people down a path of idolatry. This is what we see with Jeroboam. Now, because he knows all of this and because he does know the one true God, he, with full knowledge, has turned his back on the Lord. This is why he's sending his wife to this prophet, Aisha, in disguise to find out what will happen with his son. Some considerations as we look at this is, number one, Jeroboam was not interested in repentance. Secondly, Jeroboam was seeking to gain knowledge through deception. Two things. Jeroboam, number one, thought Aisha would not know it was his wife, but would know whether his son would live or die. That's pretty interesting, right? Just some thought there. Listen to this. Deception normally is revealed as the work of the deceived. Deception normally is revealed as the work of the deceived. The very person who's trying to deceive others are themselves deceived. They think perhaps, and if it's not, it's manipulation, it's, it's arrogance, it's pride, and they're doing that deceiving in order to fulfill their own agenda. Jeroboam would have been better off if he had repented, right, of his sins? Isn't that true? Because remember, just by his actions, he was 
acknowledging the fact that his system of worship was false and he had to send his wife to Aisha to go figure out whether or not his son would live or die. It would have been better at that moment if he had repented of his sins, prayed for his son, and then asked the prophet for his assistance in the matter to come alongside and help him in his time of need, humbling himself before God. You know, Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Acts 3.19 Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Not to mention 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, we know that Jeroboam was certain that the prophet would tell his wife what will happen with their son, and he sent her off, and off she went. Verse 4, as we continue, says Jeroboam's wife, did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Aijah. Now, Aijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Aijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. Um, so we'll stop there for a moment. Just a, a very interesting situation here. You know, Aisha <clears throat> was given discernment. You know, let's, let's kind of think about this, break it down. The discernment that Aisha was given was this. A clear word from the Lord as to who was coming to see him and the reason why she was coming to see him. Now, his physical sight was no good. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I, my eyes don't work well in low light. You know, that's why, you know, sometimes you can see me doing this. It's because my eyes cannot see the words very well. You know, giant print would probably do me better than this, what I have in my, as, in my, in my Bible. But... For Aijah, I, I can relate to him. His sight was, was no good, uh, but his spiritual sight was 20-20. Why is that? Because he was so special? No. It was because the Lord gave him that kind of sight. When God's word says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we ought to ask, what does that mean? And what does it not mean? Don't be fooled by what you see or hear if it is contrary to what God, God's word says. Sometimes we can be fooled by sometimes the way people come off or what they're saying. But you really need to listen. You need to understand. You need to comprehend you need to be discerning, but not because you're so smart and because 
you know, you've gone to school and learned about all the philosophies of the world, and so therefore you could kind of, no, it's not because you're so smart in and of yourself. It's because you've been given sight according to God's word. And if what you see or hear is contrary to what God's word says, well, we are forced into making a decision. And we do every day and sometimes in various situations throughout the day. How do we obtain faith? How does faith increase? Again, these are all just basic biblical principles. Because in Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we must trust God's word over man's word if man's word doesn't align with God's word. We therefore live our lives trusting in what God has spoken and will be reminded of in times of need. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday morning, and, and it's interesting. It was, it was one of those moments to where I believe it was the Holy Spirit giving, giving me a reminder of a specific area of Scripture. And uh, I was thinking about how, you know, where those who are without knowledge, uh, full understanding of God, really don't know, don't have a, a good, clear picture of who he is. Um, uh, an example of this is found in Acts chapter 17. As Paul had to explain to the philosophers at the Areopagus who it is that God was. He, he took advantage of the fact that they had an inscription that says to the unknown God. And he said, well, he took advantage of that. And he says, well, let me explain to you about this unknown God. He's my God. And, and so he, he explained that to them. But the way they were described is like they are groping in the dark. They don't have a clear picture or a, a clear sight of anything because they don't even know who they're groping for, right? And so immediately Acts 17 came to mind, and I thought, that's awesome, God. I mean, it was one of those moments to where it was clearly the Lord bringing that specific chapter to mind. And I went to it, and I'm like, yep, Lord, that's where it is right there. Paul with the philosopher's on Mars Hill. Pretty awesome. We need to truly just be faithful to the word of God. We need to trust God's word over man's word if man's word doesn't align with God's word and live our lives trusting in what God has spoken and will be reminded of in times of need. You see, God is always faithful because it says in 2 Timothy 2.13, he cannot deny himself. He cannot, so he is faithful. Not only did the Lord tell Aijah who was coming, but why she was coming and what his response was to be. Listen, even in those times that you are confronted with a situation, this is exactly what the Lord will do for you with his word. Because life gets simple when God prepares us on how to respond depending on who comes to us for what reasons. We must read the Bible and understand how to respond to those things. Study it and you'll be better prepared for those moments. So you, like Aijah, not only for him he had the, the Lord come to him and tell him, but listen, that's what we have every single day. As we read and study the word of God, 
we will be able to discern who is coming to us for what reason and how to respond to them. It's all found right here. Let's continue though. Verse 6 um, says, But when Aja heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam, why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But... You have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images provoking, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Now, initially, if we go back, because this is like, I imagine, I imagine um, Jeroboam's wife just being speechless at this moment. Like at that point, it's like, what do you say? But at the very beginning, as she comes to the door, he hears her footsteps. I imagine that she was absolutely shocked, surprised to hear Aisha's welcome. Oh, uh, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you come pretending to be another? I mean, it, it, it's pretty obvious when someone doesn't have physical sight after a while i mean you just you you know it right for Aisha, maybe it wasn't so obvious maybe it was but nonetheless again the lord had told him who was coming for what reason and how to respond well Aisha didn't delay right away he told her the bad news in this bad news, he told her, this is what you are to go tell your, your husband, Jeroboam. Go tell him that he's done evil more than anyone else. Even though the Lord had exalted him and given him the northern tribes to lead God's people and even torn the ten northern tribes away from the house of Judah, the lineage of David, he had not only not kept God's commandments, but he led the people to sin by committing idolatry and going after other gods. Now, it wasn't like Aisha was hanging out with the northern tribes and knew all of this. This, is, this was all revealed to him by the Lord as he told him such and such. I mean, he told him everything that had been going on as far as his response to Jeroboam's wife. God revealed it to him. And again, all of this must have been shocking to Jeroboam's wife. How do you know this? And yet this was, she knew this was the Lord speaking 
to Isaiah to tell to, to pass along to Jeroboam. Jeroboam was guilty of leading the people away from God when he should have been leading them to God. You know, in Luke 17, verses 1 and 2, it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And what Jesus is referring to are not little children. What he's referring to are those children in the faith, those who perhaps are ignorant of some truths, some biblical truths, and don't have a good understanding of God's word. To have someone lead them astray, well, it says it's better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and cast into the sea than for them to do this very thing. There, there are many people who, who are not solid are not mature in the word of God. That's why for pastors it's important that when, when you know that there's a false um, teacher of the word, um, that, that we are able to point them out for certain reasons. Why? So that we can avoid others or, or help others to not follow them because they are leading them down a path of destruction. Such was Jeroboam, though. He knew, and yet he led them down a path of, of destruction. Because not only did Jeroboam turn his back on God, but he led the people to turn their back on God. You know, uh, turn back just a, a page or so to 1 Kings chapter 11, just as a reminder of what the Lord had told Jeroboam. Because in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 37, it says, and I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and walk, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you, and will build you a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. So the Lord, it was a conditional establishment of the kingdom, and yet he failed in this. It's a reminder because this is what God had told Jeroboam, and yet he failed to keep the commandments. He failed to be faithful to the Lord who gave him the ten tribes. He entrusted the ten tribes to him. These were still God's people, but he entrusted Jeroboam to lead them and lead them well. Well, because Jeroboam did not walk in God's ways and do what was right in his eyes, he was being judged. All males from the house of Jeroboam will die. As we know, Isaiah told Jeroboam's wife to tell Jeroboam. And then Isaiah described it just as the Lord had given him. Notice, I mean, he did not mince words, did he? Let us be reminded of the manner in which he told him this, told her this. Uh, verse 11 says, or verse 10, going back, it says, uh, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burdens up dung until it is all gone. Wow. 
a pile of dung. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Uh, how often do you tiptoe around situations in your conversations with others? When you respond to someone who is in sin, do you mince words or do you speak the truth clearly and bluntly without regarding the person's feelings? Listen, I'm not saying we, we ought to just be blunt and just like not care, right? But we must discern when we can be gentle with another discerning that they will understand the exhortation and when at other times we must put it bluntly because they will not understand any other way. Concern over hurting someone else's feelings was never what determined what was said in the Bible to someone. Unless you can show it to me. It was just as the Lord had told the prophet to say and pass along, so it was said. The truth in knowing to what or whom it was applied at what times is what was important. What situation to the person to whom it was spoken to? Remember Nathan and David? How was that? You know, he was... He, he presented it very well. He gave this analogy, right? And uh, he presented David with this um, situation. And he basically put David in that position of judging this matter, which he did often. And he was very severe in his judgment. And then Nathan said, you're the man. Now, David at that point, could have argued his position, but yet he was convicted. He was cut to the heart, and he humbled himself. He brought him, in other words, he brought himself low. And he said, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan did a wonderful job, and at other times, it's, hey, listen, you're, the people are going to burn up like a pile of dung. This is judgment that's coming. In other words, come on, wake up. I remember there, there were times when I, I learned that. You know, there's, there's a time of speaking, and then it's quite interesting when dad gets to that point. You know, you know the volume and the manner in which you address your children that they realize what fear actually is like oh dad means business and, and you and you see it you know that's not bad that that's not something that's bad god does that with us did you not listen to what god said to jeroboam through his wife it's kind of like that it's kind of like getting in your face hey listen son you need to wake up this isn't right. 
You have no idea what you're doing. And what you're doing, you're also leading others to do the very same thing. And they're my people. Sometimes we need that person to just speak bluntly. For us to get it through our thick heads that where we're at is not right. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.1 and 2 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 1 Timothy 5.20 says this, For those who persist in sin, listen to this, and this is very blunt. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Wow. You mean there are times when we are to rebuke someone in public? I thought we were supposed to correct them in private and then praise them in public. That's true for the most part. But when someone, again, gets to the point to where they are bringing destruction, undermining, uh, shaming, just conducting themselves in a manner that is just really creating chaos, then there comes a point where 1 Timothy 5.20 is applicable. As for those who persist in sin, Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Again, that's just a, a, a moment to where everyone else goes, oh, I don't want to be that person. I, I don't want to be corrected like that. So there's a, a reckoning. There's a moment of clarity. And perhaps that leads to repentance, which is the whole goal. Now, I know this is different than how the world teaches people to conceal and hide sin. It's, I mean, good is bad, bad is good. Be what you want to be, and who are you to judge? Sweeping things under the rug or insisting on being, quote-unquote, private about sin so that a person may save face, quote-unquote, or, or we are not to judge and even to cover another's sins while they deal with them, right? Any time you're trying to Conceal your sin and not allow others to keep you accountable. Really, you, you, you're trying to work hard to keep going along that path of sinning, of remaining in that place. The only personal, the only personal dealing with sin that God desires is just one, one, one word. Repentance. That's it. It's repentance. It's not prolonged massaging of the sin. It's not dealing with it. It's at the point where it comes to your understanding that you are in sin. You have no other choice. At that point, you either reject the truth of God's word and are disobedient or you're obedient. There's no in between. You understand what I'm saying? Well, Jeroboam's wife was told what to go back and tell Jeroboam. And now she'll be told what will happen 
with her son. And so again, just learning from all of this, just the Lord just speaks very plainly to us and, and we ought to discern when to speak plainly and when to be gentle with our words because that will effectively do what the Lord desires. So we need to be discerning with that, but we need to know God's word in order to, to be able to do that. All right, 1 Kings uh, 14, verse 12, let's continue. Verse 12 says, Arise therefore, um, still Aisha, uh talking to uh, Jeroboam's wife, says, Arise therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Let's stop there for a moment. Um, so we learn here that uh, Aisha had told Jeroboam's wife, hey, listen, as soon as your feet touch um, the outskirts of the city, at that point you enter into the city, the child will die, in, but will be buried with honor and will be properly mourned. So this is what's going to happen with your son. But this would not be the case with the rest of the house of Jeroboam. It was true of their son, but not with the rest of the household of Jeroboam. You see, what we learn here is that with their son, the Lord, he's found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this was an act of mercy even toward his son. God knows all things. For us to sit here and try and like, well, is, how is this an act of mercy? Well, you know, we'll, we'll sit down with the Lord and we'll see all the details of, of how it is that the house of Jeroboam was conducted and we'll see how it was that perhaps their son found favor in the eyes of the Lord at that point. All we know is this. This is what it says here, is that it was an act of mercy and he will be honored. He will be mourned in his time of death, but he will die. And so it was an act of mercy. But there was more to what Jeroboam's wife was to go back and tell Jeroboam. So let's continue on. In verse 14, it says, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today, and henceforth the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So uh, the nation of Israel would um, find themselves exiled to Babylon. This is beyond the Euphrates, and that's what he's referring to. Now, this doesn't take place immediately. Um, this, by the way, uh, will take place about 300 years later. But this was something that had been set in motion at this moment with Jeroboam. You see, this would, would be a consequence of what Jeroboam did in the presence. The people would continue the sin of idolatry that Jeroboam had set in motion in that present day. Jeroboam himself had turned his back on God, but so did those that followed him. And they will eventually be taken into exile to Babylon, again, beyond the Euphrates. Is that's what we see here um, <clears throat> was prophesied by Aisha. 
It was their idolatry that provoked the Lord to anger. If God is consistent, and he is, why would we think he would overlook our idolatry? The moment we, we realize that we are worshiping half-hearted, half-heartedly. We ought to confess that, repent from it, and turn completely to the Lord. You see, God desires our whole heart. That's, that's the only thing that really is reasonable. We must be wholehearted worshipers of God. This is nothing new. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 5, 7, you might recognize this. You shall have no other gods before me. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Sometimes we, we wonder why it is that we are faced with so many difficulties, troubles in our lives. And yet in the midst of all of that, we could have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We, we, we wouldn't be anxious. We wouldn't be filled with worry if we just keep, kept our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. But instead, because we are lukewarm, because we are half-hearted in our worship, because we're just not all in with him and we aren't expressing a complete love for him, a sacrificial love. Our devotion is divided up, and we are without passion toward him. And remember, he is consistent in his character. He knows that the moment our hearts get divided and we, we, we uh, place our trust here and there and partly with him, we're in for some trouble. We're lukewarm. And a lukewarm heart toward God is always a heart that is contemplating or already practicing idolatry. Giving to something or someone else the place in your heart that only belongs to God. God warned and prophesied that they would be spit out of the land because of their idolatry. And that's what we see there. So verse 17 says, And Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah, and as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Aisha the prophet. So this was, this was immediate judgment that was fulfilled as God has spoken through the prophet Aisha. It happened just as God had said it would. Again, God is faithful. Another example of God's word being fulfilled exactly how the Lord had spoken. His word is sure. Verse 19, let's continue. says, Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. 
Um, so Jeroboam, as we see there, reigned for 22 years, and when he died, his son Nadab assumed the throne of Israel. Now, Second Chronicles, just to add a, a few more details to this story and what happened during this time, Second Chronicles 13.20 says, Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah, and that is, uh, that's the king of Judah, and the Lord struck him down and he died. When Jeroboam fought against Abijah, which we'll read here in, in, a, in a moment, in this, the same chapter that it was covered in, 2 Chronicles chapter 13, 500,000 of his men perished. 500,000 warriors. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verses 15 and 16 says, Then the men of Judah raised the battle, battle shout, and when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. A very important statement there, God gave them into their hand. So this was not because Judah was so great, but was, it was part of the judgment that uh, the Lord had applied to Israel, to Jeroboam, and we know that 500,000 of his men perished in that day. And now we have the conclusion. That, well, this was the conclusion of Jeroboam. Uh, but now we have the summary and the conclusion of Rehoboam, who was the king of Judah. Verse 21 says, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was uh, Naamah, the Ammonite, and Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every hill, uh, high hill and under every green tree, and there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now, this is Rehoboam. This is Judah. This is uh, amazing. This is sad commentary. Because Rehoboam was no different than Jeroboam. In fact, you could say that he was worse in many ways. He built perhaps what the people, though, wanted and led them in the worship of idols all over the land, and they performed abominations just as the other nations all around them. Um, <clears throat> you know, these, these kings, it seems like both of them were, were populous in that they just seemed like instead of listening to the Lord, because both remember both of them, uh, Rehoboam had been preserved in the southern kingdom because he was faithful to David and to continue, con continue his lineage. In the northern um, country in Israel, remember what it was that the Lord had told Jeroboam to do, and he would establish his kingdom. And yet, instead of listening to the Lord, it seemed like they consulted with their own minds, and they consulted with the people, and they, they set things up in such a way that the people seemed to not mind at all, and they worshipped in these high places, and performed these Acts that were in complete um, opposition to God's word. It was absolutely disgusting. But perhaps what the people wanted 
And so he led them in the worship of idols all over the land, and they performed abominations just as, as it says here, just as all the other nations around them and those that had been removed from the land as the Israelites came and occupied that land that God had given to them. Again, I remind you of James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And listen to this. You don't have to do the sin with the world, but just do as the world, and you're just as guilty. Sin is sin, whether you're in the home or whether in the home or outside the home. Sin is sin, whether inside the church or outside the church. One can dress sin up and make it look like something else, but it nonetheless is sin. One cannot hide it with fig leaves. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So all is exposed, just a, a reminder of what we already know. All is exposed to the Lord who knows all and sees all. He knows all. He sees all. He's everywhere at all times. Verse 25 says, In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their places shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. So again, consequences of Rehoboam, uh, Rehoboam's and the people's sins, um, they were partly known by God's allowance of Judah's failure and loss to Egypt. Uh, Judah was beaten by Egypt and their wealth was taken. What was once gold was now bronze. The glory of Judah had diminished under God's rebuke of their idolatry. Not that shields of gold would have been effective in battle, because they're not. It's a soft metal. It's very heavy. Right? But remember that during Solomon's reign, all was calm. There was no need. They were on display. They were on display in the house of the forest of Lebanon. You remember that? In total, what the Egyptians took away was worth, in today's dollars, about $33 million in gold with all of these shields. All of this. $33 million. And what was left was, uh, what, what they built were these shields of bronze. And even then, they were having to put them away in between, but they used them to protect. And so things changed drastically during the time that Rehoboam was king of the southern kingdom over, or king of Judah. So this is, uh, again, God's judgment because of their idolatry. It wasn't just because God decided to do this. It was because of their idolatry. Verse 29, we'll wrap up. Now, the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. 
His mother's name was Naama the Ammonite, and Abijam his son reigned in his place. So, as we see there, there was constant war between Israel and Judah. And after 17 years, Rehoboam dies and his son assumes the throne. Now, it says here, and it said it earlier, um, who was Rehoboam's mother? Well, it was the Ammonite. T today, uh, you would, uh, uh, today's Ammon is what country? You guys know? The Ammonites come from the country of Jordan, which is right next door to Israel. Well, the Lord had warned Solomon not to take foreign wives and not to multiply wives and all kinds of things that he had told him and he had done this. So this was emphasized because this is this has been now repeated. And and so with all of this, it was a representation of Solomon's compromise, which later had consequences, as we see here, a continuation of idolatry. You see, idolatry isn't something that even Rehoboam or Jer Jeroboam started, but Rehoboam being Solomon's son he saw the example of his father, and perhaps as he brought that along, he thought, well, if my, my dad had what he had, and he lived life the way he did, perhaps I can do it too, the way I want to, and things would be okay. But things weren't okay. Judgment had come. The consequences were beginning to be felt by Rehoboam, and we know Jeroboam also. And we'll see time and time again as we continue our study through the book of 1 Kings that it just happened over and over again. Many lessons to be learned, though, through it. I'll end with this, and that's Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Father, that's our desire. We do desire. We do. We want that for ourselves, Lord. Help us to understand how to walk in the spirit, how to live our lives with faith, and, with faith and trust in you. That we would not only be just ourselves in our own lives, but we would be faithful to you. We would be wholeheartedly worshipers of, of our Lord and our God. And how to deny ourselves, how to pick up our cross and follow Jesus Christ our Lord that we may bring you glory and, and, Lord, we may be pleasing unto you. Teach us and help us to walk humbly before you, our Lord and our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.